48K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Sean Kennedy. Tonight's headlines. Two of the 12 Hong Kongers held in Shenzhen are facing a more serious charge than originally thought. Relatives of the detainees stage a protest demanding their release. And Luo Neng tells Hong Kongers they have no choice but to be patriotic. Prosecutors say two of the 12 young Hong Kongers detained in Shenzhen after being caught by the Guangdong Coast Guard last month are suspected of organising an illegal border crossing, a more serious charge than the illegal entry accusation the other 10 face. Wang Yinting reports. Mainland media say a court in Shenzhen has now approved the arrests of the Hong Kongers. And the court is quoted as saying that the case is under further investigation. Ten of them are being held for allegedly entering mainland waters illegally after the group were picked up at the sea last month. But the other two are suspected of organizing an illegal border crossing, which could land them with a longer prison term than the others. The pair are only identified as Tang and Chao, but it's believed they are 30-year-old Tang Kai-Yin and Quinn Moon, who is the only female among the detainees. Families of the 12th are demanding that lawyers they appointed for the detainees be allowed to represent them. After several were forced to drop the cases due to pressure from mainland authorities. Relatives of the 12 held a demonstration outside the liaison office this morning. Vicky Wong has details. The families were accompanied by lawmaker Chu Hoi Dick and activist Owen Chow as they marched from Western Police Station to the liaison office, holding up signs saying, Return our sons and daughters and refuse government-appointed lawyers. Speaking outside the liaison office, Mr Chow said the families have heard nothing about how their loved ones are faring in detention more than five weeks after they were captured at sea by the Guangdong Coast Guard as they reportedly tried to flee to Taiwan. He said the SAR government has failed to provide the families with any meaningful assistance despite repeated requests for help and they want a meeting with Chief Secretary Matthew Chang and Security Secretary John Lee. The wife of Wang Wei-Yin, one of the 12 detainees, says they don't even know if their relatives are alive or dead. Nevertheless, like the other relatives, she had taken the mooncakes to the liaison office in the hope that they could be delivered to the detainees. This festival should be about family gatherings, the young and the old eating mooncakes together, watching some TV. But this year we don't have that chance, because my husband is now detained in Yantian, Shenzhen. I don't know if he's alive or dead. There's just no news. We appointed a lawyer for him, but that was rejected. I feel very helpless. I can't put it into words. No one from the liaison office accepted the mooncakes, so the families left them on the water barricades erected around the building in Weston. Liaison Office Director Luo He Neng has called for more national education in the territory, saying patriotism is not a choice but an obligation. Joanna Wong reports. At an event celebrating both National Day and the Mid-Autumn Festival, Luo Hui Neng said Hong Kong has turned a page since the national security law was introduced. The country is growing stronger day by day and saved Hong Kong from falling into the abyss of a color revolution. The implementation of the national security law by the National People's Congress Standing Committee has halted the independence fury in Hong Kong, the turmoil of a rift born of violence, and ushered in a key turning point from chaos to governance. 
He claimed that some people are trying to dilute Hong Kongers' feelings for the nation by twisting the meaning of the one country, two systems principle and opposing anything linked to the mainland. This, he said, proves there's a pressing need to boost nationalism in Hong Kong. He said young people and civil servants in particular need more education regarding China, its constitution and national security issues. Patriotism isn't a choice, but a duty, he said. Organisers of the Hong Kong Golf Open have confirmed that the tournament will be postponed until next year, citing the pandemic. The event was originally scheduled to take place at the end of November. Organisers haven't put together, I'm sorry, organisers haven't put forward a specific time, but say they're committed to holding the tournament eventually. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is coming up to five minutes past 11. Civil servants have been warned not to take part in any illegal activities over the mid-autumn festival and during National Day tomorrow. Tom McAlinden has more. The plea to civil servants not to go out breaking the law over the next few days comes in a letter to them from Civil Service Secretary Patrick Nip. He says dozens of their colleagues have already been suspended after being arrested for taking part in illegal public activities and they should know that the government has zero tolerance for those who violate the law. He warns that the internet's full of distorted and false information, encouraging people to participate in illegal demonstrations. But he says he believes that civil servants are able to distinguish right from wrong and abide by the law. He also reminds government workers not to breach the four-person gathering limit in place because of the pandemic. And then he signs off by wishing them a happy National Day and Mid-Autumn Festival. Police have arrested two men over online messages urging people to attack police or take part in illegal rallies to mark National Day tomorrow. Chief Inspector Fanchon Yip says the offending posts advocate extreme violence and people shouldn't share such messages. People publishing those posts may be violent and offensive, inciting others to commit wounding with intent or inciting others to take part in uh, an off-right assembly. And people sharing the post maybe uh, bear the uh, legal liabilities. Eastern Court has granted bail to activists Joshua Wong and Ku Se Yu, who were arrested last week for allegedly participating in an unauthorised assembly on Hong Kong Island last October. The hearing has been adjourned until December the 18th. Mr Wong, who faces an additional charge of breaching the anti-mask law, says he won't stop speaking out. We just have to send a clear signal to the world. Even they try to arrest us, prosecute us, and even lock us up in prison, there's no reason for us to surrender. A district court judge has questioned the evidence in the trial of 15 people accused of rioting during a police siege of Polytechnic University last November. Prosecutors have been told to work on their case and come back with more specifics as the case was adjourned until November the 20th. Here's Vicky Wong. Chief District Court Judge Justin Coe told prosecutors to look at the basis of prosecuting the 15 defendants as well as whether the 12-hour-long video clips they want to submit specifically target the accused. The judge also said there was only one sentence in the prosecution's documents that related to the 15. He was speaking as the defendants who are accused of rioting at the intersection of Nathan and Waterloo Roads near Yaomate on November the 18th appeared in court requesting an adjournment as they weren't ready to enter pleas. Two of them said they still hadn't applied for legal aid. A total of 213 people have been charged with rioting over the protests as demonstrators tried to advance on the besieged Polytechnic University in Hong Kong. 
Residents of a public estate in Kwantong are to be given COVID tests after it emerged that an elderly woman may have been infected there. The 71-year-old was confirmed to, to be infected today, but health officials found antibodies in her system that suggest she may have caught the bug some time ago. She had been moved to an elderly home in Yunlong on Monday last week, and dozens of residents and staff there have already been quarantined. But Dr. Chuang Shukquan of the Centre for Health Protection says the authorities don't want to take any chances and they'll also hand out saliva sample kits to residents at Tsai Mei House at Tsai Ping Estate. The patient viral load is very low and there's antibody positive. So, but we still do not know when she got infected. So there's a still possibility there's a transmission in the care home. That's why we have to move all the close contacts in the elderly home um, under quarantine. Education sector lawmaker Ip Kin Yun says two dozen Hong Kong schools are $7 million out of pocket between them after running into problems trying to recoup payments for study tours that they cancelled because of the pandemic. Violet Wong reports. Mr Ip says three travel agencies have refused to give the schools their money back after the tours couldn't go ahead because of the coronavirus situation. He says one school, which had paid for four trips, has lost almost $3 million. 24 schools are affected, including FDBWA Chao Chinyao School in Tumun. Its principal Sham Yu Kuang says they called off a trip in April, but the travel agency said the manager who promised to repay half of the fees was no longer with the firm and it has no money to pay them back because of the pandemic. Mr. Sham says the agency also rejected his request to provide receipts for the tour's accommodation and transport so that the school can claim on its insurance. Mr. Ip says this firm had done business with 17 of the schools, but it has now closed its office and can't be reached by phone. He says he has written to the police commissioner about the situation and taken the school's complaints to the Travel Industry Council. At least one school have already got back the money. Some of the schools have already scheduled their, their complaints uh, to be handled by the council because the council would handle the cases through uh, subcommittees. So the subcommittees have already scheduled meetings to look at the cases, look at the complaints. So there are certain progress in the council. RTHK has reached out to the council for comment. The new convener of the pan-democrats, Wu Chi-wai, says the pro-democracy councillors who have chosen to stay on in Lejko will act as a bridge between what he called local street fighters and international voices to oppose bad policies or legislation from the government. He cites a funding request for the controversial Lantau Tomorrow Reclamation Project and suggestions for facilitating voting by Hong Kong people who live on the mainland as examples of bad initiatives that the camp will oppose. A lot of the tactic will depend on uh, what the government is trying to do and try to act in the logicals. So I think that will be interactive situations. And of course, we urge the government not to do bad things. And in particular, we are talking about the coming up of the funding application for the Tomorrowland House project and also the setting up of the Greater Bay Area polling stations changing the um, elections ordinance, things like that are something that we urge the government not to do. And, of course, we don't know whether the government will put up the agenda, but according to what we have seen from the poor establishment, there's a lot of bad things that they are
external sectors in order to take away their influence. So I think you know, that that it will be the area that we have to uh, monitor closely and see what will be the move the government and the poor establishment trying to do, and we will react accordingly. Okay, but what in effect can you do if they're trying to push through things like changes to the election laws? Well, I have to confess that if they simply try to focus on one bad thing, then, of course, they get the majority worked in the legicles. So the best thing we can do is to slow it down and draw the people's attention to understand what the government is doing, what the poor establishment camp is doing, and draw the international community's attention to see what is happening in Hong Kong. But what I'm saying is, if we are not in the logical, then you may not be able to find the voice or the platform for the people to voice out, to reflect our opposition and draw their attention from the general public and also from the international community. So I, I, I can only say that we may not be able to do, or we are not able to stop everything coming from the government and poor establishment camp. But we'll try our best and we want to link up international lines and also the street fight lines so that we can get together and unite together to fight against the government. If we simply give up the logical lines, then uh, we simply give up our weapons, even though it's a small, a minor weapons, but it still is a weapon that we can fight against it. Uh, that was Democratic Party Chairman Wu Chi Wai speaking there to Mike Weeks. Local home prices have logged their biggest monthly decline in nearly half a year. New government data show that flat prices dropped an average of 1.1%. Uh, prices of private flats dipped 1.1% last month from July. Compared with last September, prices were down 2%. Medium-sized flats fell the most. Rent, however, rose for a third straight month, but was still down 9.2% compared to last year. The Australian singer Helen Reddy has died at the age of 78. I Am Woman, her best-known song, became something of an anthem for the feminist movement. It went on to sell millions of copies worldwide, making Helen Reddy the biggest-selling female artist for two years running. In collecting her 1973 Grammy Award for Best Female Vocalist, she famously thanked God because she said, she makes everything possible. And a reminder of our top stories tonight. Two of the 12 Hong Kongers held in Shenzhen are facing a more serious charge than originally thought. Relatives of the detainees stage a protest demanding their release. And Luo Huining tells Hong Kongers they have no choice but to be patriotic. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's news wrap programme. Elderly care homes have been forced to scrap special visiting arrangements for the mid-autumn festival because of a coronavirus infection at a Yunlong facility. But health officials think the 71-year-old woman probably caught the virus before she moved into the home. Anna-Marie Evans asked respiratory medicine specialist Dr Leung Chi Chu whether he thinks this is likely to be the case. Some uh, work was provided uh, in the testing result and in the history. She was asymptomatic. She has a very low viral load and uh, she has been tested positive for uh, antibody. For more this, uh, it suggests that she was properly infected over two weeks ago. It would take a few days to develop the disease uh, and then uh, another uh, 
one to two weeks uh, to develop the antibody. Uh, that means uh, it's most likely that uh, she was infected uh, quite some time ago uh, before she was admitted into the OH home. And for that, it's still a lot certain whether she was infected during her stay in the OH home. And of course, uh, when the Center for Health Protection have uh, taken all precautionary measures to current in all the contests, but uh, we would need to wait for the testing results uh, of the, all the contests within the OH home yeah. or, uh, and also the home contest, the household contest, uh, before we can have a better picture of the case. There is still a chance that uh, it may represent a uh, women new case uh, in a patient uh, that uh, with an infection acquired uh, uh, in the past two to three months. Uh, wow, uh, the disease uh, was prevalent uh, in the East Kowloon area. But we are not certain at the moment. It's not likely uh, for the virus to be acquired uh, inside the OH home right. because of the presence of antibody. Uh, as such, uh, it may not affect the uh, assessment of the uh, transmission risk within our uh, elderly homes at the moment. So how much risk is there over this sort of moon festival and national day period, um, the, the fact that we've got this holiday going into the weekend? Um, do you think it's right for many care homes to ban visitors during this period in light of this infection? Because of the incubation period required for the disease to develop, um, I don't think... Uh, the festival activity will cause an immediate risk simultaneously during the holiday period because even if transmission has occurred, it will lead to uh, infection risk uh, a few days later. Mm. And so uh, it's more a matter of how we assess the epidemic situation in Hong Kong. Uh, wow, uh, the disease is on an ongoing trend. Uh, it's unfortunate is that it seems that uh, fewer people are going for testing uh, voluntarily, uh, voluntarily uh, in our general operation clinic or full uh, private practitioners. And that affects our surveillance, and so we are not certain whether there are other cases in the community we cannot detect, uh, which may also account for the sudden drop of uh, local cases with unknown source over the past two weeks. And for that, I think we need to pay special attention, I think, uh, in all high-risk uh, air institutions. But for OH homes, um, they need to balance, I think, the social and psychological needs of some mm -hmm. of the, uh, the elderly patients. And, of course, they need to look at their own uh, institutional environment to see whether uh, the environmental condition is safe for those who stay there and uh, there is every lead like, to prevent anyone from bringing the virus into the institutions. Dr Leung Chi Chu from the Medical Association talking to Anna Marie Evans. A study carried out in about three dozen places around the world on the happiness levels of children has ranked Hong Kong at the very bottom. Lingnan University says about 1,500 children aged 10 and 12 were polled on the happiness levels between September 2018 and July last year. Hong Kong children scored the lowest. Professor Stefan Kuhner from the university's Department of Sociology and Social Policy told Jim Gould it comes down to whether kids are able to spend time doing what they like to do, as well as their communication with their parents. The survey uh, that we conducted included uh, a whole range of different aspects of, 
of, of Hong Kong children's lives, um, including their family life, their home life, possessions, their friends, student life, and so on. I think one thing that we can say with certainty is that uh, economic development is not a very strong predictor of happiness. Um, I think the 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 real reason seems to be somewhere in the social relationships and um, very strikingly um, Hong Kong children have told us that they are very dissatisfied with their time use. Hmm. Uh, and uh, so how are we doing compared with uh, children in other parts of Asia? Um, other parts of Asia depends on the on the particular aspect of the children's lives. But if I if I may stay with the issue of time use, that's an area where um, Hong Kong is doing worse, uh, even than places like Taiwan and South Korea. Malaysia was in the sample, um, and also also Vietnam. Um, now, particularly, time use is an issue for the 12-year-olds. So we interviewed both 10- and 12-year-old uh, children in Hong Kong, and there seems to be a very steep drop in the uh, satisfaction with time use um, when we compare those two groups of children. By time use, you mean what, excessive homework, that sort of thing? Or? Yeah, interestingly, um, uh, that also, but we were asking about um, their domestic chores, we were asking about um, extra tuition that they might engage in, we, might, we asked about how they spent their social life with their family, um, we asked about how much time they, they spend on screens, so social media, on phones, computers, electronic games. But interestingly, we, we, we found that um, part of the reason, particularly why the 12-year-olds seemed so dissatisfied, was that they felt that they, A, are very stressed. Um, they don't always felt that they can cope with all the different responsibilities that they have inside and outside of, the, of, the, of their school life. Um, and the issue of choice is also quite important. So the 12-year-olds told us, or many of them did anyways, that um, they, they wanted to have more choice and how they can spend their own time. And I understand also that the scores on being listened to by adults were also quite low. Um, is that because parents in Hong Kong are too busy? Yeah, very good question. We, we thought about that for a very long time, but actually... Um, the, the issue of being listened to is a little bit different to the time use issue. So um, being listened to by, by parents is uh, relatively low across all of the 35 societies that were part of the study. Um, so um, Hong Kong is low in that regard. Um, that is certainly the case. Um, but the, it's maybe not one of the key reasons why we found such low overall happiness levels in Hong Kong. Professor Stefan Kuhner from Lingnan University. Around the world, the pandemic has led to millions more people working from home and it seems it's also led to bosses seeking new ways to check that their employees are really working. Firms that make surveillance software say there's been a big increase in demand from British companies. The BBC's Laura Jones explains. One of the software companies, Sneak, which describes itself as a communications app, offers technology that can take photos of bosses and workers through their laptops and upload them for their colleagues to see. The firm says that it's seen a five-fold increase in the number of users during lockdown. Another... Hubstaff, which allows employers to track workers' hours, keystrokes, mouse movements and websites visited, says its number of UK customers is up four times since February, compared with the same time last year. 
One of the bosses using Hubstaff is Shibu Philip, the founder of Transcend, a small firm in London which buys beauty products wholesale and resells them online. He says the software has helped him monitor his seven employees in India for the last year and a half. When my team members, when they start work, they have to log in. It's not a spying tool, but rather it is, um, of sure, it's, it's for accountability. This software takes screenshots and um, it shows us are they following the procedures or not. One recent study found that a common fear among bosses is that out-of-sight workers will shirk. While some bosses who use these types of software may argue that it's good for maintaining productivity, the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development suggests that workplace surveillance can damage trust and bosses would get better results by supporting staff. Australian state authorities have approved the development of a major coal seam gas field in a controversial environmental decision. The Narrabri gas project from energy firm Santos could be one of the biggest in New South Wales and provide up to 50% of the state's gas demand. But critics say drilling wells threatens wildlife and water supplies and increases greenhouse gas emissions. Australia recommitted to a contentious gas-led future last week. Prime Minister Scott Morrison said the nation needed more gas supplies as a transition source between coal and renewable energy sources. Anna-Marie Evans asked our Australia correspondent Jerry Gannon whether Canberra is boosting gas supply as a way of stalling for time before there are proper environmental energy policies in place. Well, this project has got a long way to go before it gets uh, final approval. It has what's known as what the Commission described as phased approval. It's a $3.6 billion Narrabri coal seam gas field, and it still has got a lot of hurdles to go. Um, it's got what uh, the Commission decided was 134 stringent conditions. So uh, the Commission decided that on balance it was likely to provide, uh, to provide a net economic benefit for the local community, the region and the state. And uh, Santos has said that uh, during construction it would employ as many as 1,300 people with up to 200 of the jobs going ongoing. Uh, royalties are projected to uh, tip about 1.2 billion interstate coffers. Now, these optimistic figures seldom pan out uh, as as proposed. <clears throat> but as I said, there's still a long way to go before this thing is approved. There's basically three stages, uh, four stages, I beg your pardon, uh, of the project's development. Uh, there's appraisal, construction, production, and then rehabilitation uh, once the, uh, the project uh, is complete. There's going to be some. 850 gas wells and you know it's not going to be an easy proposition for uh, Santos to get this up because there were 23,000 submissions most of them about 90% of them were opposed to the gas field and uh, the commissioner has laid out a range of conditions that uh, indicate that Santos has a lot of work to do. It's going to be some years before this project actually gets underway. Lots of things can happen in the meantime. You know, there's a greater uptake of, uh, of renewable energy sources now. Uh, the price of gas could change. A whole lot of things uh, have, have to happen before this thing would actually uh, hit the ground. But, I mean, Australia... Uh, one, of the, one of the downsides of this is... It will uh, generate 840,000 tonnes of crystallised salt 
which will be taken out during the project. Now, that's a lot of salt. What do you do with so much salt? Well, there hasn't yet been uh, a, a concrete answer as to what the company's going to do with that. Sorry, I interrupted you. Not at all. Um, yeah, and also, I mean, in Australia, you've had fires, you've had floods. It's... it's uh been some very uh, weird and wonderful sort of weather phenomenon at, at the wrong time. So, um, uh, you know, do you feel that Australia is moving more into a, an environmental uh, energy direction or not? Well, you know, we have a we have a uh, we have a, a government that uh, is not at all convinced of the realities of climate change. Uh, we have a government which is hell bent on. Uh, industrial development and uh, you know Scott Morrison the Prime Minister has been pushing the, uh, the the regulator to approve this as soon as possible he was uh, over the past couple of days he's been making utterances to to that effect now look not everybody objects to this as I said there are 23,000 submissions that object to it but it's been it's been welcomed by you know other sections of the community uh, the union movement, for instance, uh, all of those involved in the resources sector are, uh, are welcoming it. But, you know, it's a long way to go before uh, this thing, uh, before it's, uh, as they say, a, sh- a, shovel, a shovel-ready project. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Legislation on national security in Hong Kong is designed to safeguard national sovereignty, security and development interests. It will also ensure that Hong Kong becomes a safer, more stable city. The legislation is aimed at an extremely small minority of those whose behavior and activities pose threats to national security. It will not affect the legitimate rights and freedoms enjoyed and exercised by Hong Kong residents in accordance with the law. National security law preserves one country, two systems and restores stability. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to remember. 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 Welcome to Music Nostalgia with Ray Codero from now until 1 a.m.
I love you just the way you are. Richard Clayderman at the piano. Evening shadows make me blue When each weary day is through How I long to be with you My happiness Every day I I miss 